Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello, I'm Liz Loza. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planter, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. I'm joined by Matt Harmon, and I'm going to ask him what I ask him every Sunday night. Do you know what satisfied me this week, Matt? And I'm going to reply as I always do. (laughs) No, Liz, I don't know, but I'd love for you to tell me. Uh, I was pretty satisfied by the number of temper tantrums I saw dude bros on Twitter throwing uh, because they couldn't get the PS5. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I mean, nothing reverts grown men, you know, seemingly grown men into like absolute children, you know, more than like a new video game console. And, you know, I'm not like. I don't play I don't play video games. It's not because I'm like better than people. Oh, um, I know you mess with the peggle. Come on. Well, yeah, okay. Let okay. me rephrase that. I don't <laughs> I don't play any video games that have been made prior to like me leaving elementary school. So like I'll mess around with some old school stuff like Peggle, Mario Kart on the N64 only uh, every now and again. But don't don't really play too many video games. Not because I think I'm better than anybody. I mean, my job is freaking fantasy football. Like I'm a total <laughs> square as much as anybody else. But it just like I, I guess I have thousands of other things to do to waste my time. So I, I don't I don't uh, I don't partake in the PS5 tilting. But you're right. It is it is pretty satisfying to watch people freak out about it. Also, isn't it almost Christmas? Like I don't. This is the part of it. I was like, you couldn't wait to like wish for that from your parents. Yeah, but people need it now. Like Like, they need it now. Yeah. Now they got to have it right now. I know that was pretty. Although we are in a quarantine and you want to like fill the time. And, you know, I am stellar at Call of Duty, by the way. You should definitely not try me on it. Um, But (laughs) anyway, let's go on. Uh, Speaking of Call of Duty, the pirates uh, connected to face the Carolina Panthers. I mean, my goodness, that was, how about that for a segue? I I thought that was just poor. On a team with Mike Evans, Antonio (laughs) Brown, and Chris Godwin, of course, it's ya boy, Ronald Jones, who goes off for the monster game. Yeah, I'll, I'll claim Ronald Jones today. Uh, for, today. <laughs> for sure. I'll, I'll, I'll take, I'll take it this time. Um, with, with Ronald Jones, like, it's kind of a simple equation. It might be hard to, to, to figure out. Like, you know, I, I was, go- I was gone last week. Right. Uh, and my now brother-in-law told me yeah. like, he's like, do you ever, he's like, do you ever notice that the bucks this year? They're just not good in prime time. Like they're probably going to get crushed by the the saints. And I'm like, you know, that's actually, I mean, I've, I was kind of like, that's pretty simple analysis. But then when you look at it, <laughs> like when they've been on, when they've been like on Thursday night football, Monday night football, they've gotten uh, Sunday night football, whatever. Like they've been a pretty average team. Like if you just watch them on those, those games, you know, they, they barely beat the giants. They lost to the, uh, the damn bears. They got crushed by the saints. But then when it's like, Oh, you know, 1 PM Eastern 10 AM Pacific start against a team like the Panthers, they're going to roll and like show you the exact ideal version of what their, uh, what their offense should look like right like 
it, we're not going to be at a point where any of these pass catchers are getting funneled the ball. Really, like the one guy that you should kind of rely on on a week-to-week basis would be Ronald Jones because when they're in the game script, you can count on that. But they're not always in that game script, obviously, because they're kind of a weird team. Also, he keeps fumbling. It's like the universe does not want him to have the job, but game script keeps allowing him to sneak back into it even though he's fumbling. You know, so I feel like there are just like weird circumstantial wrinkles, which is perfect for a year like this, frankly, that allow him to keep being getting a second and a third and a fourth chance at it. But I mean, when you roll up 192 yards and you ran long for like what that 98 yard run, right? And you score, then you're back in the good graces. Redemption is yours. When we're talking about redemption, though, like you said, Rojo, I have to take a little bit of credit for Mike Evans, who we faced off over, um, during FFL because we were coming out of this week and Evans has been a volatile play. I guess you could say period, but like he's certainly been a volatile play this year when you're looking at the volume and also marrying in the like kind of targets he's getting. But last week, like BA threw mad public shade at Tom Brady for not targeting Mike Evans. So I was like, well, I'm guessing that's going to have to be a priority. Like either Tom Brady digs his heels in over this or he acquiesces to his coach and sure enough Mike Evans led the pass catchers with 11 looks and then he managed to grab six balls for 77 and a touch I do think it's interesting that this isn't the first time that BA has kind of pointed out this situation between Brady and Evans and Brady not locking into him as much as BA feels he needs to um, in order to win and so I just have to keep in my mind that this is a priority moving forward. Like I wanted Chris Godwin to be the wide receiver one and felt ahead of the season felt that was going to be the truth of it because of his versatility, but the high value targets always belong to Evans. Yeah. Evans had an absurd 50% share of the team air uh, team uh, red zone targets today. I mean, he was the guy in scoring position. Cameron Brayton, Rob Gronkowski also snagged uh, touchdowns inside the 10 yard line. So that's always going to be part of the equation too. But like this is the thing. I mean, it's weird that Bruce Arians, you know, comes out and, and, you know, gets on Tom Brady about this because this is kind of the situation that the bucks have created for themselves, right? Like there's too many options for one guy to get funneled the ball. And on Sunday night football, you know, on Sunday night football, or was it, sorry, Monday night, was it Monday or was it Sunday night football? It was Sunday night football last week. Right. Right. Uh, with, with the bucks and like, you know, Tom Brady's like literally telling Antonio Brown, like what to do pre-snap. That's naturally going to be disruptive to the offense. So right. that's part of the situation that they, they're reaping what they've sowed there, but also like Evans, Godwin, Gronk, you know, Brady's still going to want to keep other tight ends involved. Like, there's too much for Evans to just get these high, like just get thrown to in situations where Brady's not totally comfortable. So I, I, I do get BA's point a little bit, but I also think we're just going to have to live with situations where like maybe next week it's, it's Chris Godwin with the 11 targets, maybe the week after it's, it's uh, Antonio Brown with 11 targets. And there's not, you know, a huge separation between any of these wide receivers. I think they're going to be sort of bunched in the same area rankings wise every single week. It's a power struggle, right? I think that's what we're like getting to on a narrative level. Yeah. There seems to be a bit of a power struggle between, and we said this heading into the office. Actually, Charles Robinson and Therese had a great um, riff about this um, on the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast about like whose offense is this going to be? Is this going to be Tom Brady's offense or is this going to be Bruce Arians' offense? And I think the answer is depends on the week. Like, yeah, whatever I know. Is it's working. funny. 
It's funny, right? Because I think in some way, like, Arians has got to be happy that he's not dealing with Jameis Winston because that literally looked like it might kill him at some points. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the whole Jameis Winston experience. But at the same time, like, you can't – this is Tom Brady. you got to acquiesce a little bit. And, like, so, it seems like sometimes Arians is like, yeah, I'm down to do that. Other times he's not so down to do that. Yeah, I'm too old for um, yes. attitude. Uh, when we talk about – we have to talk about Carolina because it was a blowout loss. Um, but – more importantly than the loss were the loss of two players, injuries to both Mike Davis and Teddy Bridgewater, who had to leave this one now. Christian McCaffrey is, fingers crossed, expected back in week 11. Remember, he had a second opinion done on the shoulder injury that he suffered back in week nine in his return from IR. Um, so he is expected back in this one. Um, when we talk about the quarterback, though, I mean... I don't think we're going to be able to give clear analysis until we know what's up with Teddy. Yeah, I'd agree. And this offense, like in the first half, it looked like they were going to be okay, competently moving the ball against this defense, like perfectly doing, you know, kind of exactly what I thought they would do. Like uh-huh. I figured that this Panthers offense was a good matchup against this Bucks defense. Cause they, uh, they can get the ball out quick. They love to target over the middle of the field where Devin White's giving up something like a 120 passer rating in coverage this year. Been a great, like, aggressive fly around the field type of guy, but definitely gives up those plays in coverage. So it started out okay, you know, hitting DJ Moore and a couple of deep bombs mm-hmm. too. But you predicted it, it that really too, got, so congratulations there. Well, it really just got away from them in the second half. So we'll, we'll see what we'll see what happens uh, with the whole Teddy thing, but I agree with you. Really not much to add um, onto that without knowing his status. Houston at Cleveland. What a bummer this game turned out to be. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I know I know we're going to talk about the wind and, and the elements, and that's part of outdoor play. And if you're actually sitting in a stadium, maybe that makes the whole um, the whole event more like layered and textured. But if there is one fantastically exciting piece of this, it's that Nick Chubb is back. Now, did he look completely like yes. smooth and oiled back? No, no. But he's still, I mean... Dude was number one in breakaway run rate for a reason. And then he goes ahead and breaks away. Like he puts up 126 rushing yards and a score and like a half, you know? Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. Because of clock management. So I think that what a way to shake off some rust for Nick Chubb. Yeah. uh, First of all, I just want to say shout out to our colleague Tank Williams who legit did spook me with uh his dfs segment when he was talking oh, no. about hollywood higgins and you know he's like well if there's gonna be some way i i got so freaked out for whatever reason i mean because obviously tank is the king of dfs i got so freaked out that i pulled out deshaun watson and the brandon cook stack with the higgins run back and went with kyler murray and um john brown so i was like Thank God Tank scared me out of that because I would have been absolutely puking my brains out if I had played Higgins and Watson in this just slog fest of a game. I do think that Nick Chubb being back is huge for this team. I think it gets them back on schedule. It gets them like what they want to be, you know, and, and it's like you said, he didn't really start ramping up until early on in the game. I also think, too, just having like it's it's one of those things where having Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt together is better in some ways than just kareem hunt because you know for for hunt for hunt you know like obviously obviously like in an ideal world you'd love to get more touches or whatever but like i think it allows them to stay on that schedule 
uh, more so than they wanted to be. It is worth noting this is, was a cakewalk matchup. Like, Houston's run defense is a joke. It's no surprise they allow two backs to rush for over 100 yards. We'll see what happens going forward, but I think overall, you know, Nick Chubb uh, is one of the most exciting players over the second half of the season, no doubt about it. I think that Nick Chubb is going to build on the momentum and the rust that he shook off this week. In next week, they've got Philadelphia. I mean, and Wayne Gallman scored twice on the Eagles. We'll get to that matchup. But I love what you said about um, allowing, having both backs on the field. Maybe, you know, Kareem Hunt wasn't as efficient without Nick Chubb. And now they are both allowed to do the things that they do best and at will. Like Nick Chubb is the ground game option. And Kareem Hunt can be better utilized in the passing game when they have each other. So uh, I I love that take and I love the matchup, frankly, against the Eagles next week for them to continue building on this momentum. Um, Houston didn't really do a whole lot of anything. I mean, it was Duke Johnson didn't really get anything going. And I mean, are are we going to, are we going to brush it away as a conditions game, which by the way, continues to be the excuse for Cleveland? Yeah, right. Uh, I think that we could just kind of for the Texans, like I would just move away, like just put this yeah. game in the in the back of your mind. You know, from a usage standpoint, things kind of went as planned. Eight targets for Brandon Cooks, eight targets for Will Fuller. Uh, I said on FFL this morning that like this is a offense that's starting to sort of like it looked like a very long usage tree, like a bunch of different guys could get involved. That really hasn't been the case much lately. It's been mostly Fuller uh, and Cooks, and then you know Duke Johnson. We were all excited about the the you know the revenge, revenge game, and I, I I I was totally hyped too. But like this looks like a David Johnson stat line from this year: fourteen carries, literally no other running back involved, um, but just three point nine yards per carry. Like this is kind of what Houston RB one has been giving us all year. Just take uh, a different first name out of the equation, and only a first name. Um, when we look at the Washington at Detroit game. Heading into this one, obviously the buzz was mostly surrounding J.D. McKissick because of his 14 targets in week nine. You and I spoke about him during our FFL halftime show. And, you know, we were like, well, he could probably get more. He only got one more, right? 15 targets, NBD. Um, But but that's still, and he managed a, a score on the ground. We know that Detroit is super generous to the running back position, both on the ground and through the air. But I think the bigger story, it's like they traded hands. Like, yes, we know for sure McKissick is the preferred back on passing downs. He led these pass catchers in, in looks great. Also, Antonio Gibson, he's got the goal line. Like, for better or for worse, yeah. even if he's not terribly efficient, he is the goal line back. So now, similarly, not exactly the same, but similarly to Cleveland, we know what each of these backs can do, and we can therefore look at the matchups and say, like, all right, I know who has touchdown potential, even though, again, McKissick did score on this one on the ground, and who has the opportunities through the air. Yeah, no, I mean, he, it's like you said, he's been the goal line guy pretty much all year, has uh, Antonio Gibson, and he had three touchdowns inside the five-yard line coming into this game and then had a couple of inside the 10-yard line touchdowns in this one. Um, I actually thought it was encouraging that, like, he that J.D. McKissick only got to 15 targets, right? Like, he had 11 in the first half, okay? So I figured by the time... You know, because Washington was trailing so far in this game. They had a huge deficit. They were down, I think, 24 to 3 at one point. So, like, I figured, honestly, Liz, I was like, this this guy's going to have, like, 25 targets in this I said game. 18. I thought the, 18 was a reasonable number. We were both over, though. Yeah. So, like, but 
I actually thought it was encouraging that Smith moved away from that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when they needed to come back, and they did tie this game up, almost won it. Detroit obviously kicks the game-winning field goal. I thought it was encouraging that Smith could, like, be a real quarterback. Like, at this point, Alex Smith just kind of looks like a 36-year-old veteran quarterback. That you know, Like, he looks like what I would expect – um, he would have ended up looking like had he never had this, you know, freaking crazy knee injury. So like in one way, that's a good thing, right? Like he's just come back to be pretty much Alex Smith, but the, you know, that's a pretty sizable upgrade from most teams. Third quarterback. Like I think that Washington is still in good hands with Smith under center because he was able to open things up. You know, he led those drives that Antonio Gibson was able to punch in the goal line touchdowns. He got Terry McLaurin to a 120 total yard effort in this game, 95 through the air on nine targets. And then another big rush for 27 yards. Like that. And that's pretty much like all we're looking for from Washington. And yeah, sure. Logan Thomas chipped in with 66 yards. That's fine. If you had to start up a tight end, you don't completely hate yourself for that. So like, that's again, that's all we wanted out of Kyle Allen. That was all we were really asking Dwayne Haskins to do. This is good enough. <laughs> you know, this this is good enough uh, for Alex Smith. Well, and the next two efforts or the next two matchups are friendly, especially for Antonio Gibson. Next week, they're, uh, they're playing the Bengals, right? And the Bengals, the Pittsburgh game notwithstanding, but the Bengals are allowing over five yards per carry to opposing rushers. And then... On the Thanksgiving game, which is perfect for these two franchises, uh, the Washington football team will travel to Dallas. And so I think there's there, but there is some there is some fantasy potential to be mined here in on an otherwise like when we looked at Washington at the top of the season, I don't think this is exactly where we thought we would be like J.D. J.D. McKissick has been kind of a revelation that's emerged over the last few pair of weeks. Oh yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited for him to catch uh 20 passes, you know, for um uh, let's say 43 yards uh while we're all like, you know, eating turkey or whatever and um that, that'll be that'll be a real real treat on Thanksgiving, no doubt. Um let's the only other let's switch to Detroit because that backfield showcased one rookie that was another rookie that was particularly explosive. I tweeted that I would love to do a Peloton Hills ride led by DeAndre Swift because he just spent the whole day galloping, just hurtling over dudes. Like that's, I guess, his signature his signature move now. And he had the backfield all to himself. Peterson's continuing to be phased out. 16 carries for 81 yards. Yeah. And then another 68 yards and a touchdown in the passing game. So... Matt Patricia may be starting to learn from his mistakes and seeing um, that he saved his job by a field goal this week. Yeah, I don't have too much to add on this game other than what you said about the DeAndre Swift thing. I just want to make one note, Liz, that you talked about how you have a Peloton. Uh, I didn't know that. I didn't know you had a Peloton. That's interesting. Um, Brand new. I would like like to uh, just do a little comparison here side by side between your home gym equipment being a Peloton. And I just watched the latest episode of this is us last night and recognized an awful lot of the current things in my home gym from like the 1970s flashback that they do there. So we're living very different existences here in terms of, uh, in terms of what our home gym looks like, but you know, we're all making it work uh, here in quarantine. I mean, all I have is a Peloton and a yoga mat and a jump rope. I don't have like a weight set or a, sit up bench or whatever i fought a lot of people on facebook marketplace to get those (laughs) to get those weights from 1970 well you know what i think tank williams is probably gonna fight a lot of people 
because he was very high on the Eagles heading into this matchup. And um, oh god, I, I while I was watching this game again, the Eagles at the Giants game, I just kept thinking, wow, I really miss Week Nine when I didn't have to do this, when I didn't have to like sit here and scratch my head and think like, how is who broke him? How is it happening? Like why this? If if Wentz was going to like pull some momentum out of the bye, it should have been in this matchup. And also Wayne Gallman scoring twice. Like props also, let me say before I forget, last week when you were away, Scott Pianowski went on a brilliant riff about Wayne Gallman being a legit RB1 and he should get yeah. fed more. And Devonta Freeman, like it doesn't matter if he's hurt. Forget this veteran BS. Props to Scott. He called it. He's been on the Gallman train and it paid out this week. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, I'm writing about this in my recap column tonight that the Giants like left no stone unturned to have a solution behind yep. Saquon Barkley, right? Like they bring in D and every stone they turned over was like more terrible than the last. Like they bring in Dion Lewis off the worst season of his career in Tennessee. They bring in Devonta Freeman off the veteran scrap heap this year. Uh, and, and then they sign Alfred Morris who, who hasn't, you know, he, he had one carry for the Cardinals last year, which I didn't even know about until I saw him on TV this year. Like, they literally bring Alfred Morris, who we love Alfred Morris, but they bring him off the couch this year. Meanwhile, the solutions in their backfield all along, Wayne Goldman, five touchdowns in the last four games, season high, or, uh, yeah, season high, 19 touches against the Eagles today. Like, I'm with Scott. Like, I've got Wayne Goldman on a couple teams. I'm glad that, uh, you know, that, they didn't like, I didn't lose those games or whatever. Like I started him probably 50%. I benched him in the other 50%. Like at this point, I think Gallman's like the, leave, leave the backfield alone, New York. And like Devonta Freeman's on IR now. So they probably will. But I, I agree with Scott, Scott completely. Like, let's just keep giving this guy the ball. I, I think you're right. I think the Deion Lewis just in the defense of Joe judge, which why am I doing this? But I think the connective <laughs> tissue from when they spent time yeah, together yeah, yeah. in new England, remember like Deion Lewis was at his best when Joe judge was with the Patriots. Sure. And so there might be a, a memory that a nostalgia that he was attached to regardless. You're right. Leave it alone. Stop touching it. And also maybe just stop touching the Eagles. Like don't, don't do it. Miles yeah. Sanders is it. Don't try to like do the mental gymnastics of which one of these yahoos is not going to get hurt or why Alshon Jeffrey is like logging snaps. It, it is a mess. Try to avoid it. This year is hard enough. And just know that Miles Sanders is, for the most part, pretty matchup proof, even though it was Boston Scott and Corey Clement who found the found the goal line. Just leave it. Sanders is your guy. Yeah, totally. 95 yards from scrimmage in this spot for Miles Sanders. Like the the, the touchdown thing was frustrating, but still ran right. the most routes of the team. Like nothing discouraging there. I think the exactly. most discouraging thing. And uh, look, I, you're you're preaching to me at this point. I got to stop it with these damn Eagles. Like Carson Wentz, I keep asking him to be or normal. He's not going to be normal. And I agree with you. The worst thing that we saw today was Alshon Jeffrey chipping in and running uh, 14 routes in this game to the expense of Travis Fulgham, who yeah. falls behind Jalen Rager for the team. He was number two on the team in routes run. Yeah, I mean, at some point, sure, this offense could coalesce, but I'm going to stop trying to predict it every single week. <laughs> there you go. We're not answering Eagles questions, guys. Um I wonder what kind of questions the Jacksonville Jaguars are asking themselves because they came really close to knocking off the Green Bay Packers in this one. I, I mean, Jake Luton, I said on FFL and ahead of last week, his debut in week nine, 
this arm situation, like the coaching staff in Jacksonville was very excited about Jake Luton's arm. He has this like weird detoured history where he has Juco history. And then he ended up obviously at Oregon state, but like the, a lot of scouts felt like maybe he fell through the cracks. Like that was a, a legit narrative over draft season. NFL draft season and he's got this strong arm and you saw it even in the wind which was above 20 miles per hour he was trying to make it work like the I am willing to for he made a bunch of rookie mistakes he's a damn rookie right a late round rookie no less without giant draft pedigree but his arm strength is real and so are his onions because he did not stop trying to make it work and we know that it can work because we saw it work on the second throw of last week. Yeah, exactly. And look, I, I like when we see a backup quarterback come in there and just start kind of slinging it around. I feel like that was what made Gardner Minshew so appealing when Exciting, he first yes. hit the scene. You know, just 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 the onions going out there, flinging it around, not trying to, oh, let me get some buddy hop completions and build my confidence. No, forget about it. Show you've already got confidence by going down the field. And like really all, all we're asking from Jake Luton, just like how we're old, we're not asking too much from Alex Smith for Jake Luton. It's basically just like, Hey, keep James Robinson alive. And so far so good on that task. Another 20 carry hundred yard effort for James Robinson today. I was a little concerned about, you know, what would he look like? James Robinson with a quarterback change would, would the offense get worse? Well, as long as it's Mike freaking Glenn, as long as it's not Mike Glennon, we're all good. We're good. Um, also, Everybody, we know James Robinson should have had two touchdowns, and they were called back yeah, because of off because of penalties, right? But we that, that is too bad. My, I'm sorry. Like these are sour grapes. There's nothing we can do. The process remains the same. 23 carries, my goodness, and 109 yards. You can't really complain. Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams both played in this one. They had their usual. I'm sorry. Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams both played in this one. They had the usual spit, split. Um, with Jones carrying the ball 13 times and Williams with eight carries for 30 yards. I believe Jamal Williams was a little bit banged up in this one for, for a hot minute. It was a weird day for Green Bay's backfield, but it was probably a lot because they, you know, they fell behind a little bit uh, unexpectedly in this spot too. So, Matt, I think we're going to probably get a lot of MVS questions, right? Um, and because he had a monster game, like almost 150 yards, a touchdown, um, I'm going to, though, I'm going to ask you, we know that Alan Lazard was questionable for this game. He's trying to come back from that core muscle issue, had a little bit too much soreness to get out on the field. I don't want to chase MVS and write up like a pickups article about him because I think this might be a little bit of a mirage. And as we said, heading into the season, you're going to have Devonte Adams who can high point like nobody else. Wide receiver one, let's not even talk about it. And then you're going to have Aaron Jones and then whoever else. Maybe it'll be Robert Tanyan. Maybe it'll be MVS. Maybe it will be Jamal Williams. Maybe it will be Lazard when he comes back. Yeah, I mean, Scantling has been putting up those like big air yard games and just, you know, kind of leaving yards on the field. So those He's also been making mistakes, though. That's what, that's what I was going to say. Like those were bound to positively regress because he's been just whiffing in those opportunities. Like that's, this is one situation where it's like, you got to watch the games a little bit. You can't just be like, okay, the air yards, those are there. It's like, well, why are those air yards just air yards and not actual yards? Because yards. MBS was making those mistakes. And I think this is definitely a situation that 
I've tried to chase MVS in different spots uh, this year too. Like when they were going to be in high scoring games like against the Texans hasn't always worked out. So yeah, sure. Th- these ceiling games are, are within his range of outcomes, but they might be like a 5% chance. And that might be being generous that they even hit. Oh my goodness. Denver at Las Vegas. <sighs> it wasn't a great week for Swaggy Drew. It wasn't a great week for, <laughs> For really any of our guys, you know? I mean, I was thrilled process-wise that KJ Hamler, who I hyped, had I really, really, I, I thought it, new moon, moonshot, KJ Hamler, under the radar. Process, I think, was right. Ten looks, led the team in targets, only caught four of those for 50 yards because this was not Drew Locke's best effort. No. Um, <laughs> Drew Locke really just... <laughs> you can tell... <laughs> I mean, you can tell the tone was like, yeah. Uh, I mean, look. I know you don't care if he's not good, very good. Which is good because he wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't care. So this didn't bother me one bit. Uh, you just really can't. Like, Drew Locke can't help himself. Like, he lives and dies by variance, uh, the deep ball, everything like that. Some of the throws he makes are just, it's just so ill advised. Um, you know, he's definitely got the tools, everything like that, but he's got. He's got some work to do in terms of decision-making. And, like, I think he's pretty much on a, at this point now, like, you got to make it happen before the end of this year or we're going to be looking elsewhere, which, you know, John Elway really wanted this one to happen. Sure. You know, he did, like, nothing did like nothing at backup quarterback just to, like, make sure Drew Locke was confident and he was the guy and he started off and then he gets injured and the whole thing. And the whole offense is kind of falling apart. But Drew's at some point got to make the steps on his own because he's got good receivers. Like, KJ Hamler, as you pointed out, separates fast explosive love that they've kind of switched him to be the speed slot receiver and Jerry Judy to be the outside guy, you know, eight targets for Judy, 10 targets uh, for KJ Hamler. Uh, Tim Patrick contributes a little bit over 60 yards, gets ejected in the fourth quarter. So it really just all comes down to the fact that uh, Deshaun Hamilton scores a touchdown here. And he's, he's the guy. Also after making a massive mistake, like I was like, Oh, karmically, this is not the way it's supposed to go. I held my breath, but what we can, so that's pretty much Denver's situation. You have a lot of great talent uh, in, in terms of the receiving core and a quarterback that's going to be scattershot. And whichever one of these guys hits is the one that hits, but they all have potential in their various ways. They are all, I mean, Tim Patrick, I think we've seen him produce. We've seen him rip off 100 receiving yards and find the end zone. We know what Jerry Judy can do. I wonder if his shoulder was bothering him a little bit in this one. KJ Hamler has incredible yak ability, right? Like we know these are options. We also know that they are going to be hamstrung by their quarterback. It looks like the Raiders are no longer worried about their quarterback because as we discussed a few weeks ago, they want to make this and game script obviously had something to do with this, but they want to focus on the run and Josh Jacobs. And they did this along with Devonta Booker in this one. And it felt to me a very Raidersy game, like exactly how they wanted to run. The only thing that would have made it a perfect Gruden game was if like Henry Ruggs had caught two balls and one of them was in the end zone. Well, Nelson Aguilar almost did that. He I had know. four targets, one one catch, Ugh. eight yards, and then he dropped a touchdown. So he almost made that perfect Gruden game. But I agree. Like if the Raider, if you don't make the Raiders come out of their shell, they're not going to come out of they're that shell. Yeah. So you know, yeah, Devonta Booker and Josh Jacobs running all over. We all the revenge games we talked about this morning, and we missed <laughs> oh, the Devonte right. Booker revenge game. <laughs> oh my gosh! I just put that together. Uh, well, sorry guys. Um, Alas, we we are we can we cannot be perfect. We cannot 
just like the Giants, we don't, you know, we don't leave every stone unturned. It's <laughs> true. Those are facts. Um, we also watched two of the most exciting rookies under center face off in the next matchup, Chargers at Miami. Um, neither of these guys passed for over 200 yards. They both managed two yeah. touchdowns. Uh, it, I, I think, like, if we're really going to talk about it, the backfields of each of these brought us some surprises. I don't want to put an adjective in front of that surprise. I don't want to yuck anyone's yums. I don't want to influence anybody's thoughts. But Kalen Balaj was a surprise, welcome or not. And Sylvana Ahmed, I got some, I'm starting to feel, you know, I like an underdog. Like I'm starting, I'm starting to turn it over for him. Which backfield do you want to start with? Uh, yeah, I agree. Like we, you know what we're going to say about the Chargers one. So like, just, we don't need to add any more than that. Austin Eckler will be back at some point. Uh, but until then it looks like it could be Balazs backfield. 18 right, carries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whew, said it. Okay. But the dolphins one is interesting. Like I saw a couple dolphins observers, a couple beat writers saying like, Ahmed might be the guy. Like, like when Miles guy. Gaskin gets back, like he might not have a starting job. He ran really well. Um, and I think that the, like we talked about the two rookie quarterbacks in this spot, that's how you led this off. Like, I think, you know, Herbert is the guy that I would take no questions asked. Like if I had to pick between the two, I, I think I'm going yeah, with Herbert, you know, for the future. But I think today showed that Tua is in a much better like infrastructure, right? Like the dolphins were on this game and they were on it right away. Like they looked like the better team throughout it. I also think the coaching is a thousand times better in Miami than Anthony Lynn, like continuing to coach. Like he's the scaredest man alive. Uh, and it like the fact they can take this guy, Ahmed that, you know, Savannah Med and just throw him in there. And like, he's producing pretty well because they have a good ecosystem there in Miami. Also, I think it's the thing I, I so I was like, Oh, this Ahmed guy is, is breaking out. I'm going to do a little bit of research. Interestingly, Ahmed ran behind Gaskin at Washington. They were teammates in college, and Ahmed was used to spell Gaskin. So I'm not, and he wasn't activated off of the practice squad until October 9th, so ahead of the week five game. Um, so I, I'm not sure that Ahmed takes the job away from Gaskin. I do think next week, because I, I'm expecting Gaskin to be out another week, I do think Ahmed plays ahead of Burita and certainly Jordan Howard, who was a surprise scratch today. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's good on Miami to just, like, see what they've got in guys like this. We, like, you know what Jordan Howard is. He's not a part of your future. You know what Matt Breed is. He's probably not a part of your future either. So I, I like that move a lot for Miami. And I agree with you. Like, who do they play? Who does, who's the Dolphins play next week? Denver, I, I, I believe. Denver. Yeah, so, I mean, not like a cakewalk uh, of a run defense or whatever. I mean, Raiders just ran Booker. all over him. But, yeah. but I mean, like, Drew Locke going on against that pass defense in Miami, those blitz packages, the, the pressure that Miami could put on quarterbacks, I think we're going to see some positive game script for Ahmed and the Dolphins running game. Okay, so I'm sure that Andy and Scott will talk about Ahmed in the pickups episode tomorrow. Let's talk about Buffalo at Arizona. This was the game in which Josh Allen was supposed to build on the momentum and the confidence that he had coming out of the game against Seattle. And um, the dachshund of the desert did all the things. I mean, I hate to sum up a game in the last play, but I do think this game is perfectly summed up in DeAndre Hopkins' clutch catch in triple coverage of this game. 
yeah, if you didn't watch the the last play of the game, everything that you just said about Josh Allen was true. Like right. Josh Allen throws an unbelievable dime to Stefan Diggs, like perfectly placed, like the throw that people say Josh Allen, you know, coming to this year could not make. He does it. He comes back from his own adversity created in this game where he threw a couple of interceptions, especially the last one was ultra frustrating that he threw. So like that was all there for Josh Allen, but elite players showing up in unbelievable spots. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins winning that ball, like you said, in tight coverage, Kyler Murray just having the stones to put it there and just being like, is there a God, like watching Kyler Murray run with the football is like, I don't know. It's like life giving. It's like pure joy. And I mean, both of these teams just reaping the rewards of trading for good. No, nay trading for elite wide receivers in the middle of their prime. And they're just both these guys, Diggs and Hopkins have absolutely transformed the offenses that they've taken, that they're now a part of. I I totally agree. I don't have any notes. I mean, you're going to continue to play both of these guys. I will say it was a little bit tilting to see Christian Kirk come back down to earth a little bit in this one, yeah. but everyone, I mean, last week it was DeAndre Hopkins who came back down to earth. So Kirk was kind of living on touchdowns as it was. So there was bound to be a game where he got, you know, he didn't, I mean, he had some decent yardage games too, but most of his fantasy juice was coming from the touchdowns. Uh, speaking of number two wide receivers, uh, keep an eye out for John Brown. He had an awesome catch mm-hmm. in this game and then uh, went out uh, went out with an injury. It was an, an ankle injury, I believe it was, late in the game. Um, also, that, that catch that he made that was uh, awesome was called back on a penalty, which is just like the ultra insult. You know, you make this great catch, you get hurt, and then you uh, – uh, the, the play gets called back. So but keep an eye out for John Brown, uh, what, what we're going to see happen there. When John Brown is banged up, Cole Beasley tends to show up. I mean, he did again in this one. I'm tired of like underestimating Cole Beasley. When he has a 13 target game, I mean, he hadn't, oh, he had come back down to earth over the past few weeks, but I think we have to, especially if John Brown is injured, like displace that volume over to Beasley, who has been way better than I remember him being. And maybe I wasn't paying attention enough or maybe Jason Garrett was burying him. I'm not sure. Or maybe both. (laughs) Hey, all those things could be possible. (laughs) It's true. San Francisco at New Orleans. Um, Drew Brees getting hurt is probably the biggest storyline coming out of this one. He had a rib injury and then we got to see uh, Jameis Winston doing uh, his thing. There was also a shout out to Trevor Lewis, who runs the Yahoo fantasy Twitter handle because he posted a gift like that sweating gif. And it just said Jameis Winston trying not to throw an interception. I like laughed out loud because of it. Nice. Well, I mean, yeah, right. Like LASIK Jameis. This was our debut of uh, Jameis Winston post LASIK surgery. Uh, We'll see if that makes a big difference. I think we're going to be seeing Jameis Winston again uh, next week. Just, Total guess based on the way that Breeze like reacted in that game based on, um, you know, the fact that he's going to get an MRI, like we'll see what happens, but I think we might be seeing more of Jameis and I can't quite tell, you know, with Twitter, like people get really excited about Jameis Winston. Like they want to see him play. I'm not, I'm not a Winston guy. Uh, I think he could make an offense more fun. Like, for fantasy, I guess, because he can throw you into deficits and then, you know, he's going to be rifling balls to Michael Thomas uh, and Alvin Kamara and whatever. But I, d- I don't particularly want to see Jameis Winston at the controls of, of this offense. I'll I don't mind 
I don't mind seeing Jameis Winston in a vacuum. I do think it's fun. You're always waiting for the like, ah, moment. But I also, I mean, I don't know. I have a fair amount of exposure to Alvin Kamara, so I'm not worried if Jameis is back there. Oh, Traquan Smith got hit real hard in this one, too. Now that I'm like remembering the game, that was that was hard to watch. Um, But otherwise, uh, Jared Cook, as we talked about on FFL, right, like he had been on a hat, a hot streak when a hat streak. Do you hear the accent come out? He had been on a hot streak when, (laughs) when Emmanuel Sanders and Mike Thomas weren't available. Now that they're back, he only sees two targets. He puts up a donut. Michael Thomas. What do you make of this? Seven targets, but like two catches for 27. I know obviously a lot of it had to do with the quarterback yeah. situation. And so we're just going to move forward from there. I mean, I really, I really don't know. Like it's one of those situations where I feel like I'm being disingenuous. If I try to like pull, pull an answer out of my, uh, out of my ass here. I have no, I don't know what's up with Michael Thomas, but it is, it is one of the weirder things it- of the season. It is troubling, I know. But uh, for the San Francisco 49ers, uh, the shenanigans that Kyle Shanahan likes to employ uh, were not I'm sorry, what are those those (laughs) called again? Shenanigans? No? No. Shenanigans. 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 Close, yeah. We're we're getting Uh, there. So good news, (laughs) Jarek McKinnon was (laughs) definitively the lead back in San Francisco's backfield toting the ball 18 times, but 33 yards is not great, even though we know the matchup is tough. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That was one of those, like, well, if you tried to play the 49ers roulette, you probably were, uh, you probably were looking at McKinnon as the guy, but the results weren't there anyway. So who cares that you got that right? Brandon Ayuk remains the only playmaker for the 49ers offense until Debo, George Kittle, Mostert, all come back. He's the one that I think you can rely. I mean, Jordan hey Reed. Now. Saw. Hey, hey, now, yeah, oh, you sorry. show some respect to Jordan Reed uh, after uh, that, like incredible one-handed catch, six targets, sixty yards. That's for for <laughs> when we're talking about you know leaving no stone unturned, bring okay. guys uh, off the scrap heap. Got to give some love to Jordan Reed until he does. You know, obviously do other Jordan Reed things. We know what those are. Okay. Fair enough. I stand corrected. Seattle at Los Angeles. The NFC West remains the most exciting division in football. Don't at me. Um, It was, that being said, kind of a a messy game for Seattle. No passing touchdowns from Russ. DK Metcalf, as you predicted, was locked up by Jalen Ramsey. Also super pissed that he was seeing no love. So, by the way, you can use that because moving forward, like we know there's a squeaky wheel narrative that more times than not bears out. And even though Jalen Rager, like Jalen Rager, I'm not sorry, I'm sorry, Jalen Ramsey, we know that he's like not the most, oh, humble of players. He's not a particularly subdued player. So what we did, neither of these guys were mic'd up. So what we also didn't hear was not just DK Metcalf not getting looked to and getting locked up, but all the jawing that Ramsey was probably doing and now Metcalf gets to use that all week into his next game yeah that next game is the Arizona Cardinals the only other team to really lock him up this year too although after that Eagles Giants Jets Washington the LA Rams again and 49ers to finish the year Um, we'll see how that goes but like I can't believe that is they that were the serious. Is that Thursday night game, by the way? Is that Thursday night yes. that he plays? Yes. So the quick turnaround for Russ and company. Yes. I couldn't believe, sorry, I, I can't believe there were like serious people out there that really saw like Jalen Ramsey say like, 
like Roto World prints the headline of Ramsey saying like, I'm not going to shadow DK Metcalf. It's like, did you really change your expectations based on him saying like, what did you think Jalen's going to come out and be like, here's what I'm going to do on Sunday. This is what we're going to have. Give me a break. <laughs> um, like, yeah, I think that what are, what do we make of this Seahawks offense at this point? Because like Russ was in September and October, you know, like the five star kitchen, everything in there mm-hmm. uh, it is fine. Everything is, is, you know, stainless steel we're talking those like fancy japanese knives like everything like you're not he's not getting stuff from from target in terms of cooking supplies now here in november the guy's like in a studio apartment in culver city like i was a couple years ago uh (laughs) putting putting on a hot plate a microwave and maybe pouring some cereal not a lot of cooking going on in russ's kitchen anymore liz what the hell's going on here well, I think it, I think a lot of it has to do with the offensive line, and that had been a strength, and that O line has regressed. And I think we take for granted because Russell Wilson is so mobile, and his timing is so specific, and his anticipation is so good that we've seen him produce despite a bad offensive line. But I think you know we're creatures of habit, and we get used to what we get used to. And he's gotten used to a little bit of protection, and when that starts to crumble, and you give a new defensive coordinator, as we discussed, an extra week to prepare for you and grind film and blitz the hell out of you. And he has Aaron Donald, like now maybe you're second guessing. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. And, you know, this whole, like, really the only thing going right for the Seahawks at this point, theoretically, is Russ, Lockett, and DK. Like, their running back room is decimated by injuries. Again, talk about no stone unturned. Alex Collins! Originally drafted by the Seahawks uh, seemingly a thousand years ago uh, and then played for the Ravens, only really had his one good uh, big run there with the Baltimore Ravens. Like uh, we've got that going on there. Uh, Then we've got, you know, the defense. We know what's going on there. That's been terrible. The offensive line has started to be problematic again. So, yeah, Russ is like the only thing this team has right now. Maybe that like psychologically has taken hold, but I also don't think you can make um too many excuses for just some of the poor like I think he has played a little poorly here of late and you know that's like coming back from just like the most efficient ultra unstoppable situation that we saw early in the year like we're swinging on the complete other side of variance on the like Russell Wilson adjusted scale of variance Mm -hmm. so maybe at some point things kind of normalize here but there's I think there's definitely like he's played poorly and the whole team around him is not very good outside of the receivers Yes, outside of the receivers. Like he's got he's got probably two of the top five, you know, top five receiver duo in the NFL. But like what else do they the Seahawks have to hang their hat on when Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde are out? Well, that's it, right? They really like, don't have anything else. Yeah. He need they need they need that power. And also, like Chris Carson is one of those players that every year you're like, he's gonna get hurt. We know he's gonna get hurt. We look at his durability issues all the way back to college, right? And yet the Seahawks refuse to turn away from him. And he continues to be the featured guy. And he continues when he's on the field to have workhorse volume because, and I think you're seeing why now, not only does he add like, um, like so much of Seattle's identity, right. Is about like being this like hard nose. It's weird because it's Seattle and you don't necessarily think about that when you think about the Northwest, but like this Marshawn Lynch beast mode, seismic activity sort of run game. And Chris Carson has a little bit of that texture to his playing style. And I think that's what keeps him as Pete Carroll's favorite. And, and I also think that when we remove even like that ethos, 
then we see what happens to the rest of this backfield and and the rest of the team. So like it's interesting. We we're talking about Russell Wilson cooking and how exciting that's been because it's not been the identity of the team. But then we take away we're actually finding out that maybe that team needs its identity back in order for Russell to cook. Yeah, I think I think you might be right about that. It's just a totally different offense when you've got guys like DJ Dallas and Alex Collins and Travis Homer back there as opposed to Chris Carson. And even just the, the downgrade to Carlos Hyde, I think, is not as significant as going from Hyde to the rest of these guys. Agreed. Jared Goff, I will say this one. Okay, so on the Thursday night when we recorded podcast with Andy, the preview show, I predicted, my, one of my bold predictions was that Jared Goff would be the first quarterback to not pass for 300 yards, to pass for under 300 yards Close. against the Seahawks. I'm so pissed, even as a Rams fan, <laughs> because no no passing touchdowns, though. So the whole like narrative yeah. of like, start all year Rams, this is going to be a carnival. I was very hesitant about that because when you're, not because... I didn't discount the narrative or look at the data that Seattle was presenting, but I looked at the data that the Rams were presenting and like the Rams want to run. Sean McVay wants to run the ball. He has had, he is tired of being Cyrano de Bergerac to the dull AF uh, Jared Goff. And instead was like, can we just please, I'm just going to give it to these running backs. And now there was <laughs> this running back room, by the way, is incredibly tilting because in the beginning you're like, all right, so D- Daryl Henderson's the guy, right? He scores the first touchdown and then you see Malcolm Brown, like, getting mixed in, and it makes sense, right? Like, oh, we know what M- Malcolm Brown could do. We know the team continues to have this infatuation with him, particularly in scoring situations. So he finds the end zone twice. Eh, I'm not tilted, right? And then all of a sudden, there's, like, this sprinkling of Cam Akers who gets sprinkled more because he got a chance when Henderson got hurt heading into the, the, the week before the team's bye. And now we've got Cam Akers leading the backfield in terms of totes, Malcolm Brown leading it in terms of touchdowns and Daryl Henderson leading it in terms of, even though these numbers don't say it, I'm going to say skill. Juice. Juice. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Frustrating backfield. We know that. I think you should take like, you should take the uh, asterisk victory lap on the uh, Jared Goff prediction because of the no touchdowns and the fact that he just barely cleared it. Like, yeah, training wheels quarterback Jared Goff. Uh, I'm not giving him credit on that one. All right. Well, thank you. We will. So any, any, are you reverting, I guess, back to your early season prediction about this backfield, which was Sean McVay has told us that he wants to carousel these three guys. And so like, feel free to pick your poison because now we're back to a three-headed Hydra and the options aren't as limited as they were a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Fantastic. Um, (laughs) Now that we're clear, let's talk about the Bengals at Seattle. uh, The Bengals at the Steelers, excuse me, Pittsburgh remains undefeated. And they're probably going to stay undefeated, save that game against Baltimore. I mean, this is, I, I, I keep forgetting every week when we do our fantasy analysis that Pittsburgh has yet to lose a game. And I'm reminded every week when they win another game. Yeah, uh, their their schedule's not uh, too troublesome. No, you know they got Jacksonville next, Baltimore, Washington, Buffalo, Cincinnati again, Indy, Cleveland. The only two games that I think they might be, you know, like 
that might be cl- close in terms of projections would be the Ravens and the Bills. Yeah. Everything else, I think they can. Well, the, the, the Colts might play them tight. That'll be like a, a seven to six game or something like that. But um, still, I I think they're probably one of the two best teams in the NFL right there with the Chiefs because the Chiefs have the best football player on the planet. But the gap between them and everybody else is is pretty strong. Uh, I, I actually thought in this game for the Bengals, like T. Higgins at this point is re- he's really impressive, right? Yeah. Like, we talked about Tyler Boyd today during our face-off as somebody that is going to get those short average depth of target looks against a team like the Steelers that is going to be putting pressure on Joe Burrow, who doesn't really, you know, he doesn't really shy away from pressure. You know, this wasn't Joe Burrow's greatest passing effort or anything like that, but continued to deliver heaters to T. Higgins, who's really emerged as, like, almost kind of underrated in this great class of wide receivers. Um that was really the only thing of note for the Bengals. I mean, their backfield wasn't as simple as we thought, which was just Gio Bernard copy paste to what we've seen before. Samaje Perrine or some, yeah, Samaje Perrine, Samaje Perrine, uh, he he's in there. Seven carries, forty-eight yards. That was surprising, I think, to me. Giovanni Bernard, you're right. There, the the fact that he saw one less carry than Giovanni Bernard was interesting, but Giovanni Bernard, you know also drew seven targets. He was third in team targets, and we know what he can do, and we know what the situation is. I love that you I mentioned T. Higgins as my favorite rookie ahead of FFL because I agree. I did not expect the passing of the torch between A.J. Green and the replicant Higgins to happen so immediately, but I love that he is... He's like the the Terry McLaurin alpha of this otherwise with a much better quarterback, but other of this otherwise like not great squad. Tyler Boyd is a is a fantastic like floor option and a great slot receiver, but if you need an outside alpha, T. Higgins has stepped up very quickly in his rapport with Burrow. When you're mentioning, I mean, Burrow is encouraged to throw the ball like 50 times a game and also knows he's going to get hit like three to five times a game, and he does it. I am a little bit worried about him not being better protected and what that might do to him. You saw him get a little bit banged up in this one, like what that might do to him over the course of the season. But I think if he and Higgins can stay healthy, that should continue. When we look at the other side of things and we're talking about injuries, I got to say, Matt, when I saw Ben Roethlisberger, like shaking his arm, holding his elbow, rubbing his elbow, I was just like, damn it there. I have James Conner so many places in this one. I looked at the matchup and was like, Cincinnati's given up 5.2 YPC to opposing rushers. This is going to be a James Conner game. And then when Big Ben got hurt, I was like, oh no, I'm screwed. He's going to sling it all over the place because he wants everyone to know he's hurt. Sure enough, (laughs) 333 yards, four touchdowns, and injured Ben Roethlisberger lifted this undefeated squad. There's your headline. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And all of the receivers ate today. You know, Deontay Johnson, unbelievable uh, separation on that route, scores the touchdown to to cap the drive there. 116 yards, 11, I mean, 11 targets and a touchdown. Juju, team high, 13 targets. He scored a touchdown, 77 yards and two touchdowns for one Chase Claypool. Um, I think this you know, they all these guys had double digit targets. Like, let's do that. Let's do that every single week, Ben. And I think it's interesting that you talk about James Conner. Like, Conner has started to really fall back yep. the last couple of weeks. And what do you think that is? My theory is that, that, like, it's sort of the Steelers know they're good. They might be sort of kind of taking it easy on him th- these past couple of weeks. Like, maybe that's sort of just like my get me galaxy braining that take or whatever. But, you, you know that you've got a passing attack that can win, right? Like, and you know that your quarterback for the most part wants to take these short 
tempo passes, you know, keep things in rhythm. And you can win that way. And that's just not quite in line with having Connor be a guy who's going to get, you know, 20 touches a game. I mean, I think it's, I, I think that that's a really astute an analysis. Um, I think it, it might, I guess my take in initially, um, without having an opportunity to galaxy brain it, I love that phrase, by the way, I'm going to have to use it and steal it, was that last week we saw the team travel to Dallas. We know that there's like some rumors about Ben Roethlisberger on the road, right? But also we saw the Steelers play down to the level of their competition. Scott and I talk about it. It's something that is not atypical for the Steelers. And I'm sure they heard the headlines this week, like, oh, that team almost got walloped by Dallas. And then they came out this week at Heinz Stadium and said, we're going to show off. We can show off. We're going to do it. And nobody is going to rain on this parade. And so last week, game script affected Connor. And this week, it just didn't match, like, what they were able to They were having fun. Yeah, they're letting Big Ben cook. <laughs> so at least someone's Letting Big Ben now. cook. What do you think Ben, like, what do you think Big Ben's favorite side dish for Thanksgiving is? Like, if just immediately, what comes to mind? That guy's oh, I thought you were just going right? to say, I, you, I thought you were going to ask me, like, what his favorite food is. And I was definitely, you know, those, like, hungry man, like, uh, macaroni with beef things in it that you can make when you're, I don't know. I mean, you can tell I eat 300 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> you mean, like, Disgusting. the hungry man frozen meals, the dinners? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Like, if Big Ben's eating something, that's what he's eating. Although I don't know, what do what do I know? I don't I don't know. I don't. Know. I would say he's probably he's got to be. I would say he's a mashed potatoes guy, but like not not asking recipes. You know, like not not interested in. You know, is it is it grandma's like famous garlic and chive mashed potatoes? He's like, I don't care if that from a box. Bring that to Ben. I table. just want some like potatoes that are smooth and buttery and delicious. I mean, and yes, listen, and, and who could fault him for that? Right. <laughs> who doesn't? All right, Matt, um, you are working on your takeaways piece for tonight. Do you uh, obviously the headline will come from the Sunday night game, which is occurring as we record. Do you want to tease it? Yeah, uh, definitely have a lot of thoughts, like sort of what we were talking about earlier, but with this Bucks offense, like just kind of what to expect uh, and, you know, so what what that distribution could look like going forward. And, uh, yeah, I talk way too much about our, our guy Wayne Gallman and, like, just don't love being here in week 10 of the 2020 NFL season and feeling like, man, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm juiced about about Wayne Gallman. What a, what a time to be alive. That's not what I expected to be saying here at week 10. And what a time to continue to listen to our slate of different podcasts, including the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler, the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and Pat Forty. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That is at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. One more thanks to Planters. Andy and Scott, as I mentioned, will be back tomorrow morning to talk pickups. I'm mad. Until then, we out.